Hello and welcome to episode one of season two of the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association podcast. I'm Tom Swiddle, head football coach at Wauwatosa East and past president of the WFCA. I am joined by my co-host, Tom Yashinsky, head coach at Analaska and northern vice president of the WFCA, and Paul Navinsky, former coach at Mosinee and a WFCA Hall of Famer. We are missing Tom tonight because Tom is preparing for a level three game uh, this weekend. Tom, we all wish you the best of luck. Bring back a winner. So, Paul, here we are starting season two of the WFCA podcast. Can you believe it? Yeah, it seems like yesterday you called me. I was on my couch saying, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, season two and uh, episode one, and we, we've taken some time off. So we took basically the football season off, but we're back at it and better than ever. And, and Paul, I got to ask you, you sent me a picture the other day of a deer that you got hunting. Now, I don't know anything about hunting. I've never hunted in my life, and I certainly have never hunted deer, but that deer looked huge. How big was it, and what did you do with all the meat on that thing? Well, I, I enjoy hunting. Matter of fact, before that, I was down in Arkansas for a wild boar hunt, and I actually watched Arkansas play Mississippi State. Oh, wow. Uh, which was pretty cool. But, no, it was a good-sized buck. Um, and a lot of venison. And, Tom, when I see you, eventually I'll get you some venison. Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Some venison sausage. you really enjoy it. Well, I know I will. I've had it before, and that's why I like hunters. You know, they give me their their leftovers. As already mentioned, this is season two of the WFCA podcast. And for those of you who may be listening for the first time, the main goal of the podcast is to go into depth uh, into topics that coaches, players, parents, school administrators, and really anybody interested in football in the state of Wisconsin um, want to talk about and get more information about. So, you know, we want people to be intelligently informed about what's going on in the state and to actually have people involved in the topics that we talk about on so they can explain what is going on. Just some of the subjects we covered in season one included competitive balance plan, the history of the WFCA, football conference realignment, girls flag football, the WFCA combine, WFCA grants recruitment of officials, college football recruitment, and finally the WFCA All-Star Games. Paul, when you look at we've, what we've already covered, is there anything left for us to cover in Season 2? Oh, yeah. There's always topics coming up. Matter of fact, the topic today is is one that has been talked about for a while. Um, and and, and it's, it's key that we do it. But football is evolving constantly. Things are going to change constantly. There's new topics. And again, Tom, you know this for me. I just love the fact that we're trying to be proactive. We're not saying yeah. we have all the answers, but we're starting the discussions. And, and to me, that's the key. And I think there's a lot of discussions um, out there to be had. There's really a lot of topics to talk about. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And, and before we get into, the, to, into today's topic, um, we're approaching a very exciting weekend of level three playoff action for the WIAA. What games up north are, are you most excited about? Well, there's a lot of them. I always look um, at the conference, how many teams. Some conferences have three teams that are playing at level three. You've got Nina and Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly kind of took it to them in the first time they met. I think it's going to be a little different. Uh, Nina didn't have their quarterback. Also, Rice Lake and Onalaska are playing. And the typical powers, you know, Edgar and Stratford um, are in level three, uh, which I, I think is very impressive. And a new dog has shown up, Kokona. Yeah. The Galloping Ghost. Uh, they've got their program going. Yeah, they do. And and I know they've had a couple big wins that I texted uh, Coach Bensfield about and, and congratulated on some big wins this year. I'm really happy for Matt, because I know how hard he works. You know, here in the southern part of the state, the game that I'm most excited about is Franklin and Muskego. Um, you know, these are two programs that have great coaching staffs. There's great players involved. They're relatively close. They've met before in the playoffs and had some really great games. And, you know, that's something, you know, that's a game, I should say, that has everything you're looking for uh, in in a playoff game and uh, you know the communities as I said are pretty close and I don't think they like each other very much so I I, I think that uh, that's going to be a heck of a really? game 
Paul. Really? You really think that? Um, yeah, I'm going know, on on a limb when I say I, I, that. I realize it, but you know, the one thing I that has been a trend though is uh, eight-player football is changing the dynamics of of playoffs. And you've got some teams that are generally Division Two are now Division Three, and so that has changed a little bit of the makeup of who's yeah. playing who. For the first time in, in Mosley's history, we were a Division Four football team. Um, wow. so, so those are, it's changing a little bit. Yeah. And division three, and, and we'll have to ask our expert Travis in a little bit, but division three usually has had like the widest gap of enrollments. You know, you could go from 900 to 580 or something, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that, that is really a, a division that perhaps is stronger than ever because of what you've just said. Well, it's time for us to get into tonight's co- uh, topic and, you know, every year when the brackets come out, there's just an outcry of of how can they see teams like this? You know, they everybody looks at the brackets and they go nuts and, you know, they, they point to so many different things, how the seeding is wrong. And and I think it's just really important to maybe take a look at the history of seeding for the WIAA playoffs and, and how we've come to uh, our present system of seeding. And, you know, I want to preface everything by saying back when the WIAA playoffs originally started back in the late 70s, you could be a conference champ and not even make the playoffs. They had so limited number of teams involved in that. Can you imagine the controversies back then that you were an undefeated conference champion and not invited to the state playoffs? But anyway, so, you know, we have this situation where, um, you know, the seating is, is always a topic. And uh, it would have been nice to have gotten at it when when the brackets came out, but uh, different things were going on and we just couldn't get a, a podcast together at that time. But we've got two individuals with us tonight that are very, very knowledgeable on the seeding process. We have uh, Tony Biolo, past president of the WFCA and uh, current Wisconsin Rapids head coach. And we have uh, Travis Wilson, who's a WSN general manager and football editor. Both have been intimately involved in the seeding process through the years. And Tony, we're going to start with you. First, I want to ask if you had a chance to catch your breath since the end of your season. Yeah, just a, just a little bit. We got uh, ended the season too early, uh, but got right back into things with getting things ready to go with the WFCA and trying to get all region meetings set up and getting ready for the all-state stuff. And, you know, we got Travis Wilson and Travis has been a guest before and is is kind of a go-to guy for me because he certainly has his finger on the pulse of a lot of things in our state. Travis, this must be one of your favorite uh, times of year. Um, I know it's a lot of work for you, but I enjoy reading the things you put on WSN, especially when you summarize like a weekend of of games and you can point out, uh, you know, higher seeds that are still there, the lower seeds who have advanced uh, you know, and, and then you have all the records of the conferences and everything else. Uh, um, how's your playoff season been so far? It's been busy, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, with the uh, the WFCA all region stuff that, that Tony and I have been working on over the last couple of weeks, um, that's kind of in the rear view a little bit. There's a bunch of all region meetings around uh, tonight, but uh, and once tomorrow. those, yeah, and, and tomorrow. Yep. Last one is tomorrow. Once those kind of wrap up, then things uh, do slow down a little bit and we can, you know, we can kind of look at, uh, you know, what's going on and kind of settle in a little bit. That's uh, certainly a busy time. And, and, you know, gentlemen, before we talk specifically about the seating and, um, you know, both of you have had the opportunity to go to Stevens Point on the last Friday night of the season when uh, all of the final scores are, are called in and the playoff field is chosen, um, you guys have have participated in the, the, I'll call them the grouping meetings that the WIAA has, where they divide up then the teams that are in the playoffs into uh, groupings of eight. And um, I, I think it's a sort of, I don't know, underappreciated part of the playoff structure and, and something that, maybe should get more attention than it does, but I, I'd like to start there. And, and Travis, let, let's start with you. Um, you know, what are some of your thoughts about how these, these grouping meetings uh, are? 
Well, it's an inexact science um, when you're trying to split up 32 teams and put them into four groups, uh, four groups of eight. I, I have said, and, and Tony and I have talked about this a number of times, I really do think that the most of the complaints about playoffs and even many of the complaints about seeding and you know who gets to play who and who you know goes where, I think many of them actually can be tracked back to the groupings and what grouping teams are in, uh, where they get sent, who they have to play, how tough their group is. Um, I think ultimately that uh, is is the root of a lot of the the problems because, as you alluded to earlier, you know there's there's times where you can have a really strong group and a really good team might get a seed that they're not very pleased with, and it's and they they get mad about their seed whether it was before the the way the coaches did the seeding or now the way that the computer uh, does the seeding. And they will get mad about their seed, but really, it is a it is a grouping issue where if they were in a different group, they would have been you know one or two spots higher potentially, and they would have been more happy with where they were. Um, but it is it, it is an inexact science. Um, you know, you could have ten people look at a thirty-two team division and offer ten different opinions on how those teams should be grouped and, and placed in. You know, they might not any of them be wrong because it's just uh, there's subjectivity to it that, you know, everybody is going to look at from their own perspective, uh, understandably. How does it impact me? What does it mean for me? Um, and that, you know, that that colors how everybody looks at the whole process. And I was up there a couple of years ago during the COVID season when it was a little different. You know, we were just uh, the WI was putting teams into pods and, you know, it wasn't the full brackets, but um, you could see then in in the Wade Lebecki previously and Tom Shapransky now at some of our, our WFCA meetings has brought out the maps and shown people, hey, this is this is why this is, you know, this is how it worked. There was just not a lot of teams in, in this area in this particular division. So that's why there's some long trips or, or what have you. Um, so it, it's tough because. Like I said, a lot of people could look at it differently and, and have different opinions about it. I do think there are some ways, even within the current guidelines that the WIAA uses to split teams up, which to remind everybody out there, uh, first of all, they identify the, the conference champions that are undefeated in conference play and attempt to equit equitably distribute those teams throughout the four groups in each division. And then they identify the overall conference champions and try to equitably distribute those teams between the four groupings. Um, I think there are ways that you could look at it in a little bit, um, little bit different way to try to balance out groups because I've, I've done the, the research the last few years of, you know, looking at the combined winning percentage of each group for each division. And there can be a, a pretty decent gap sometimes where you can clearly say, this is the best grouping this group over here is not as strong. We saw instances of it this year. And again, I think a number of the seed complaints this year were more grouping issues than anything. So I, I think there are ways that you could look at still doing a regional tournament and still doing four groups, which is what the WIAA has, has indicated that they want. They have not shown much support for seeding 16, which the WFCA has asked for. Um, I think there are ways that you could finesse some of those groups, still make them regional events and balance out the strength of some of those a little bit more that would uh, ease some of the concerns with some of the teams. Paul? Travis, after they have quadrants, um, you know, whatever they're doing, do, do they actually look at the groupings and say it's just not geography? They say, okay, we might not have – conference championship but we got teams that are pretty good here do they do any of that balancing out or is it just closest geography here we go well once they identify and split up the conference champions as they are able to uh, again understanding that you know sometimes you might have five conference champions and they're all kind of in the eastern part of the state or the western part of the state and it's hard to split them up equally that's not really a concern as far as balancing um you know, the rest of the teams or balancing the total 
strength of, of the groups. That's not part of the criteria. That's not part of the guidelines. And that's not part of what they are uh, attempting to do. So it really isn't, you know, a, a big concern or a big point of emphasis or really something that they go too much beyond just splitting up the conference champions. Tony, you and I have been a part of the WIAA advisory for a while, and we've had these discussions at the advisory meetings. And our, our old friend who's now retired, Wade Lebecki, has said more than once, it isn't the goal of the WIAA to have the two best teams play in the state final. You know, he made it very clear. And, and you know, the only way that Wade Lebecki knows how to make things clear, you know, that that's not of interest. You know, it's sort of like it doesn't matter if, you know, somehow the two best teams would play uh, level two or level three. You know, that's that's not what right. they're interested in. Is that accurate, do you think, uh, you know, philosophically, um, where the WIAA is still at? Yeah, I think it is. I think, um, you know, I mean, they're they're based, their, their entire tournament system, I mean, football and otherwise is based on geography. And like Travis said, I think in football specifically, they do a, they do as good a job as anybody checking first the undefeated conference champions, you know, and, and you'll see like even on their maps when, when they're drawn and when they're making the circles, I mean, there'll be a couple of tentacles if they have to, to get an undefeated team out of there. But like Travis said, once, once it's just down to the conference champs, sometimes you just have, you have no recourse. I mean, you know, when you get to the division one and two schools up North, they're just long circles across the state using Highway 29 or, you know, it, it just gets big geographical. But I mean, they're, essentially, they're looking at a grouping A, B, C and D. I mean, you think of it as a northwest, northeast quadrant, southwest, southeast quadrants. They do their best to make that situation or that type of thing happen. Um, but and then the only other thing that I would say, people, you know, I, I don't think the average person just like, you know, from watching NFL to college to high school, well, we were conference champs. Well, you were co-conference champs and one team has to be de in every conference. One team has to be declared the conference champ. Um, and that, that happened to us the last two years where we had, we actually had tri champs, you know, people look at the playoffs and they're there at the seating and everything. And they're saying, well, we were conference champs. Well, no, we weren't the, the chosen conference champ from our conference we were in a three-way tie. So that's, and that's the other thing that they look at when they're separating conference champs. I know that's happened a couple of times to some other teams where, you know, people are saying, well, you put two conference champs together down here. Well, they weren't that true conference champion. Sometimes it definitely were there. Like Travis said, there are some tougher brackets um, and they, they can't separate that after that, after they separate those undefeated conference champions and try to get an even dispersal of that. Now, in within each one. I mean, and I think the last two years, I think they've done a good job of separating that, but yeah, some of the other things you could do understand um, the WI still, I mean, as much as we would like it and the WFCA has been in those meetings and, you know, we're all, we're all about it and we're for the coaches and we want to see what's best for football. The WI still answers to administration, you know, and has a, as four or five, levels above the coaches association that they have to present to answer to. And, you know, those people are concerned about travel. Travel is a big issue when they start talking about groupings of eight. Um, and that comes from admin, you know, and due to spectators, due to wherever they're at coaches will drive across the state to play a team, you know, and especially when we're, we're seeing a bracket that we don't like, we'd rather be in this other bracket. Um, but they, they, do as good a job as they can. Is it perfect? No. Have they tried to fix it every year or tried to do something different? Yes, they have some guidelines that we we can make some recommendations to um, and try to change. Like we said, I mean, we've been trying to get that seating of 16, which I think might help some of that. But you're spot on with, you know, it's a lot of the problem does stem from the groupings and then what they see. Before we get to Paul, just a quick question for you, Tony. You mentioned co-champions and tri-champions. What are mm -hmm. some of the factors that go into determine then, like if you've got three teams that tie for first, all have one loss, you know, yep. what do they go to? How do they determine that situation and pick a conference champion mm -hmm. to be the one conference champion for a conference? 
I would. I think every conference is different. Your conference right, exactly. has to have the determination. I mean, I, I think ours was first half points allowed. Um, um, so it was a, a defensive situation. You know, just what what your average first half points owed were per game, not not just in any one game, but per game in the conference season was how we were determined. And I think you know we were all pretty tight the year we, yeah. we missed out on it. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, Tony, you're right. The, the conference bylaws determine who is the actual conference champ. Tony, so basically, much like with a lot of these issues, if you're a coach and you want to see some change, especially in this, you've got to get to your administration to get to the board of control. That's how this thing goes. And so, you know, obviously the WFC has some influence, but eventually, like you're saying, the board of control is going to make the final decision. Yeah, it is. It's it's up at the board of control where they have uh, superintendents. You know, some principals, but more, a lot of superintendents are on that, and that's who you have to talk to. I mean, I I remember going to you know twenty years ago, going to coaches clinics and hearing you know world famous Jerry Sins talk. You know, you've got to talk to your school administrators, guys. You got to go talk to your school administrators. I mean, and you do as a football coach, you have to go talk to your school administrators and. Make sure you're on the same page with the problems and the issues that you have or that you want changed so they can they can voice their opinion, too, and and make sure you're up front with each other. You know, and we have three you know coaches here. I mean, uh, Paul, obviously a former coach, but Tony and I still presently coaching. And, you know, the three of us have have been in situations where you can point to a specific year like Tony just did, you know, and, one year at, at Brookfield East, we were eight and one, got a five seed, never didn't even get a home game. And, you know, we we played first round conference champ, second round of conference champ, third round of conference champ on the road. We went to Homestead the third round, got beat by I think it was like seven or eight points. And they went on and, and won the you know the state championship. And we're like, mm-hmm. no, the state championship was played level three at Homestead that year. I mean, we really right. believe that, yep. whether or not that was you know accurate or not, but that's how you feel felt. But I mean, you know, it's been regardless of the seating, regardless of how it's done. You know, the WIAA used to do it, and the coaches, and now we got auto seating. You know, Tony, you want to just kind of give us a, a thumb scale uh, or a thumb scale net uh, uh, sketch of how the seating has evolved through the years? Sure. And and remember, I mean, you know, we used to get what well, we, when we had six divisions, there was a time where you, you had mentioned way back, you know, way, way back into the 80s where maybe it was eight teams were allowed per division to qualify. I think when Rapids, when I look back at the history of Rapids, they were at state in 1980. And I think they had to play two games to get there. So it was an eight team, full eight team bracket that they had to work with. But, you know, into the nineties, it was 16 team brackets. And we finally got expanded playoffs and were able to double that. Um, And, but essentially what they used to do for seeding, we gave the WFCA and the WIA had worked together on criteria, you know, where, where conference champs and undefeated conference champs were. And I think there were, I don't know, there were 20 some points of criteria to seed teams that they would, that the WIAA would seed uh, their grouping of eight. They would seed them one through four. And then the only guarantee there, once you got seeded, I mean, they, they did the same thing they're doing right now. They made their groupings of eight first. Then they, they seeded, the WIA seeded at one through four. And you got to play your closest non-conference opponent. So the only thing that you were guaranteed was you did not get to see or you didn't see a conference team right off the gate, which I think that's another thing I know coaches aren't happy with. But that was one of the things we conceded with when we when we went to uh, coaches seating um, was that there was no guarantee. Then we weren't going to be able to shift things around and you may be playing conference schools then and. We went for a number of years with with coaches seating where you'd just be waiting on Friday night somewhere around two in the morning. You find out who your grouping was and then you were finding out where you had to travel to Saturday morning. <laughs> I get up there, get ready with all of your arguments for where you wanted to be seated because everybody got to talk and then coaches voted. And, you know, then it was, you know, then we were grumbling about, you know, who's screwing who in the in the meeting. And here's a conference that's got five teams and I'm I'm here but with as a lone representative from our conference and they're just voting against me. 
Um, so, you know, that, that wasn't the perfect situation either. It was, it was good, but it wasn't perfect. And again, came down to the groupings of eight, you know, who, who they're putting in, in what, what groupings and how many teams from a certain conference might be in those things. And sometimes you just can't prevent that. Uh, and then, and so in the, in the past few years, we started toying around and, and talking about, uh, auto seating, you know, just can't, can't we give the computer a group of criteria and get into you know just letting the computer see that then we don't have these coaches arguments and you can be mad at the computer instead of being mad at fellow coaches and and holding grudges and things like that and i know that um, both uh, you tony and you travis were involved in looking at those models and mm -hmm. that there was a lot of time spent um, looking at what was going on in other states and also a lot of uh call it practice runs of playoffs where you, you guys looked at, um, you know, previous couple years. And if you would have gone to auto seating, how that would have worked. Travis, mm -hmm. what, what were some of your thoughts as, as you guys were looking at these different models from, from States, uh, you know, what state out there that in your experience had maybe the, the best model and, and really was something you wanted to build into the current model. I don't know if there was a particular model that was identified. We we did look at a number of other states uh, and what they did. Looking back through my notes and the files that I have, I mean, I have um, information on Michigan's point system that they use. It's not a, a formula, but you, you get a certain number of points based on you know what what wins you get. Uh, we did look at Minnesota a good amount as well. They have used a computer seated formula for a while for a number of their sports. Um, so there was a number of things we looked at. There was a, a larger group initially, uh, Tony, I think it was maybe 10 or 12 people that met the very first time in the, mm -hmm. uh, the one room at the Marriott in Middleton. Um, you know, I, I know Pat, Pat Rice was in there and yep. a few other guys that ended up uh, been more than ended up on the smaller committee, but uh, just kind of talking about general ideas, you know, what things did you want to value? What things mattered? What things should go into the criteria? Um, there was a lot of different ideas and a lot of different thoughts. Um, things regarding, you know, should it matter the size of the school that you play or beat? Should it matter home or away? Should it matter, um, you know, late in the season versus early in the season? Should it matter, you know, all kinds of different things um, were, were discussed in that. And, and we tried our best to narrow it down. Uh, looking at, you know, some of the other things that have been out there, the RPI was kind of the basis, the base point that we utilized. Um, it was something developed by the NCAA, used for their men's basketball qualifiers for a long time. And it was a very simple formula uh, to start with. It, it incorporated your own record, your opponent's winning percentage, and your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. And that was kind of the the first jumping off point, I think, for you know, what we looked at doing. And then from there it was, okay, what other things would we like to have in there? What things make sense? Um, you know, how, how do you weight all of those different factors as well? And I do think it is important to remind everybody out there because I hear this all the time that, well, we don't know what's in the formula. Well, the criteria have been clearly stated for a long time. Uh, what's not public is the weighting on those criteria and what the final, you know, seed numbers are. But um, based off, or, you know, kind of working off from that RPI, that basic RPI, additional factors that were added after a number of discussions where, again, it was kind of a larger group that got together and talked kind of big picture stuff. And then a smaller group with uh, myself, Coach Biolo, Drake Zortman, uh, Eric Jock from the WIAA, uh, Tom Schifre or uh, I think it was still Wade, or uh, maybe it was Tom, I can't remember, um, that were in there as well from the WIAA. Uh, you know, one of the things that we we also looked at was that old um, criteria that Tony kind of talked about of the old playoff qualifying criteria and what you were supposed to look at. So that's why in the formula as we have it now are, are your defeated opponent's winning percentage, your defeated opponent's opponent's winning percentage, those things are trying to take into account your strength of schedule, giving weight and, and credence to who you beat, not just who you play. 
Also in there are your conferences, historical playoff winning percentage, looking at trying to balance the strength of conferences, which is a little bit subjective, but ultimately, you know, if, if your conference overall does well in the playoffs, that, you know, kind of lends itself to the idea that you play a pretty tough schedule and that, you know, conference A isn't the same as conference B. Um, also looking, uh, one of the criteria is your own historical playoff winning percentage, and that goes back three years. So again, if you're continuing to do well in the playoffs, that means that you've got a pretty strong program that you're you know, likely to continue to be successful. One of the things that we uh, found was that we wanted to make sure that um, you didn't you didn't get penalized for uh, you know we, there's a strength of loss value where we we didn't want it to be where you got more value from a loss than a win. I think that was part of that that discussion and that criteria. So again, the the factors in the seating are clearly stated in the tournament regulations. Um, the weighting and, and the exact numbers are not. So um, again, when I hear people say, well, we don't know what's in there. If they don't know, it's because they are choosing not to know or they are you know, just being argumentative sometimes. But there was a lot of discussions. There was multiple meetings. There was, I think it ended up over 20 different runs where when we would put together an idea, a, a plan, a, a, a formula, we would go back and run that against two previous years of playoff information and qualifiers and look at, okay, how did this compare with what the actual coaches seating was? Um, one of the ideas was to try to get it as close as possible to what the coaches would do, uh, but, you know, balance out some of the issues that, that might come up as, as Tony said, and as we've talked about before conferences, colluding coaches going in and, and trying to avoid certain games, those kinds of things that were kind of gamesmanship within the coach seating. You know, if we could get it, the, the idea was if we could get it pretty close and take away some of those human factors, then that was, you know, heading in the right direction. And as Tony said, if, if the idea was, it turned out the same, but coaches could be mad instead of being mad at each other. And there was a lot of those situations, uh, you know, heading out of those seating meetings, you guys know better than I do, but just from talking to coaches over the years, heading out of a seating meeting and being pissed off at somebody and maybe mad at somebody that, you know, was, you thought was your friend or that you, you know, worked with on, on this thing or that thing. Um, they could be mad at a computer. Now that didn't really happen. People just get mad at me, um, but that's okay as well. Uh, but again, the idea was, you know, try to get it as right as possible with right being a very subjective idea. Um, and then take away all of that, you know, ill will that uh, went towards each other. The thing that, that I've seen, and I'm interested in, uh, you know, your thoughts, all three of you, but the thing that I, that I see that gets the most notoriety is head to head, um, contests. And how often have you heard since the auto seeding has come up? Well, how can this team be seated ahead of this team when they lost to that team in the regular season? And on paper, you know, like if you think about it, it, it you know, there, there's a valid argument there. So can either you, Tony, or you, Travis, give us some thought as to how that happens in the formula? Because that gets a lot of attention. Yeah, so I, I can take that one. Uh, number one, that was something we talked about a lot in those discussions uh, of how to you how do you utilize head to head? Do you utilize head to head? Um, you know, I, I think what we didn't feel was appropriate was only looking at head to head and using that as a you know overriding factor. I think back a couple of years ago when Muskego was eight and one, they lost one game, but they lost that game to Oconomowoc, who finished four and five overall. Right. So obviously you don't, you, you shouldn't move Oconomowoc ahead of Muskego just because of one game. Um, also, you don't want to move teams ahead. I don't think so anyway. Uh, some people might disagree. I don't think you want to move teams ahead of other teams. So like if I ended up as a one in the computer 
but I, I lost to you and you were a four, you're, you as a four shouldn't automatically jump the two and the three that might have better overall resumes than you. Um, I argued for, and I think if I remember correctly, Tony was in agreement as well. Uh, and this was, I think, while we were putting this, the formula together and the first year after when we went up and we, re we reviewed it, we supported looking at kind of a, a narrow um, use of head-to-head, -head, where currently it's not used at all, just to, to clarify for everybody. Right. Um, we supported using it if teams were on the seed line next to each other. So if I'm a one and you're a two, but you beat me head to head, let's go ahead and flip that. If we're, if I'm a four and you're a five and you beat me, let's flip that five and the four. Um, again, a, a, a narrow use of that, um, that had, that didn't get utilized. There was some resistance from the uh, former technology director for the WIAA in terms of feeling like that could be problematic and, you know, some of the, the, the issues that you could have maybe if there's three teams that all played against each other and they all took turns beating each other and it's kind of a, it would become kind of a constant loop and daisy chain, he, he referred to it as of, you know, how do you figure out then out of those three, which there's secondary criteria you can go back to and utilize. Um, but uh, ultimately it did not get factored in. And we have seen some instances where that caused some issues. A couple of years ago, McGuanago and Muskego played, uh, I think two years in a row, the, the team that lost the, the, uh, the regular season game got seated higher when they both finished with the same record because the team that lost that head to head had a better um, loss right. than the team that, that won the head to head. Yeah. Um, so it, it did cause a few issues there. I know Muskego and McGuanago and back-to-back -back years that happened to. It happened to uh, somewhere in the northwest part of the state in D5, I think it was, Northwestern and St. Croix Falls maybe two years ago, where, again, the team that won the regular season matchup was seated behind. Um, so I would continue to support limited and, and targeted use of head-to-head, -head, um, but we'll see if that's something that you know can be worked out after uh, after the season when things are reviewed once again. And before we get to Paul, Tony, is there anything you would want to add to what, what Travis has, has just explained? I mean, you were a part of all that. and, and Right. Uh, no, he, he was pretty succinct, I guess. And I don't know computers. The only thing that I the, – the way I understood it is, you know, we if we would put in head-to-head, -head, the computer only sees that as one way, and it doesn't matter if you are a one and eight – versus an eight and one. And if you put that head to head in for that team that had their one win there ahead of all those people, just because they beat that one team. Um, so, you know, we, we did some adjustments on where we were putting some of the percentages. Um, and when we ran it, it, it fixed a couple of head to head things, but then it creates other, every time you try to fix something, it's going to create another issue doing it within the computer frame. So I, I like Travis, I, I support that. Essentially, if you're if you're a line above or below each other, and we do the head to head, that the human application could fix that, but it, it's got to be that limited. Now, if you're if you're a gap, you know, if if like he had explained, you know, if that one team is a one seed and the next team that that actually beat them was a three seed, you're not going to be able to jump that because you can't jump somebody in between. But if you're just if you're a one and a two seed, or if you're a two and a three, we could flip flop that. Paul. So I want to make sure I understand this. So once the computer has done its seeding, there is a human factor that looks at it and there might be some adjustments. No, there is currently, no, right. currently there's no adjustment. And that was something we talked about too. Do you, do you have the opportunity for coaches to appeal like they used to in those seeding meetings? You know, do you, do you have an opportunity for, you know, somebody else to, uh, to review it and, and have input and override what the computer might say. And again, it was discussed significantly. Um, the, the thought ended up being, if you're going to do it, do it. If you're just going to go back to allow coaches to appeal, then why even do this in the first place? So, um, you know, maybe that's something that gets reviewed again. I don't know. Coaches 
some coaches have said they would like the ability to appeal. But again, my thought is if, if you're going to do that, then what's the point of even doing it in the first place? You might as well just go back to, to having the coaches seat it. Yeah. Now I'm going to throw something out to you because um, besides the head to head, the one thing that, that I've had coaches communicate to me um, is the, the conference history in the playoffs. And I've had a couple coaches say, well, how fair is it that you may have the best team you've had at your school ever, or, you know, one of the best teams. And anyway, you've had, you got a great year and, you know, you've done everything you can. And because your the conference history that factors in the, into the, the model, if you will, um, penalizes them, you know, and here you have, you know, the best team you've had, but because of some of the, previous teams from the conference history in the playoffs, it marks you down. Is there any argument to that at all? I would, I would say not really. I mean, keep in mind that historical conference component is only one of eight or nine different pieces. So it's not like it is, you know, overriding everything else. Um, we did play around with the weighting of that at different times. And looking back through my notes, I, I saw conversations that were that we had about how, you know, when you put too much weight on that, then all of a sudden you might have situations where a team is six and three and they get seated ahead of a eight and one team or, you know, something like that where it can kind of go overboard. So it's kind of a fine line to to uh, finesse, you know, how significant that can and should be. Okay. So I'm a coach. My goal is to build the perfect resume for um, seeding in the playoffs. You know, I want to make sure that, that my team has the very best chance to get a great seed in the playoffs. What, what would a team's resume look like for, you know, sort of a, a perfect, perfect situation to get at the highest seed possible? What, what would that team have on its resume? People ask me this all the time, and I tell them it's very easy. Win, win all your games. <laughs> win, win and be win. good teams. I mean, it, win, it's I was going to say win all, win all your games, and make sure all those teams you played have winning records after that too. Yep. Yeah, so. that's, that's it. That's all I got to do. That's it. Win, that's win, and be good teams. It's it's not it's not that, that complex. Um, you know, obviously, if if you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, and and that's the tough part of any formula or any seeding criteria is you're comparing teams that don't have a lot of similar data points. You know, uh, you may be in a group where you have not played any teams that are in that group with you. And so how do you, how do you do that when there's not, you know, comparative data points that way? Um, and so if, you know, if you're eight and one and I'm eight and one, then obviously some of these other things come into play and the, the strength of schedule and who you be and all those different things. But it, it's not like, you know, if you finish five and four and you're all of a sudden going to get seated ahead of a, a team that's eight and one or seven and two or something like that, it's it's just, you know, the margins between teams that that this really comes into play. Paul? Yeah, thinking proactively, guys, what would be some suggestions you think could be done to improve the computer seating model? I'll let Tony go first on this one. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> oh yeah, come thanks. on, Travis. <laughs> Improve the computer seating model. I, I don't know. I got I to gotta look at the – I want to look at this year well, again. Or do you, earlier you said the real issues comes with the groupings. Maybe it's how do we improve the groupings? It, yeah. That would, well, I would, I would think that. That might be the, the bigger factor even – and we tweaked – I, I want to see number one – you know, looking at what we've got this year, I don't know. I'd go, I got to take some time to go back and look and see if if this was better because we moved some of those those percentages a little bit, trying to fix a few things. And knowing after we did it, we we knew we talked about it. And I remember leaving the meeting thinking, you know, all right, we fixed a couple things that we wanted, but what aren't we seeing in this thing that's going to come up, you know, next year? So I want to look at that. Um, but I do think. If we if we come up with some criteria or some things that we could 
could maybe assist with with um, those groupings of eight. You know, nobody you, they hate they they I shouldn't say hate, but they they dislike strongly seeing teams drive by other programs. Um, you know, to to what coaches would say, equalize those eight team groupings out a little bit better. Um, it, it's just not a concern, but it's a concern for us as coaches. It might not be a concern for administrators. It might not be a concern for some fans. It's other fans that is a concern for, but doing something like that, I still, I would still really, me personally, and I, I think, I don't know how many other coaches, but would like to see the seating of 16. I'd like to see us just, instead of drawing four circles of eight, let's just draw two circles of 16 and see where the computer seating takes us at that point then. Um, I'm not so sure that wouldn't help things out quite a bit. Yeah. Travis? I would. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot, Travis. You are going to answer oh, don't, this. Oh, don't worry. Oh, yeah, I've been asked this many times this year in, in some of the interviews and things that I've done. Um, I, I think, number one, the, the regional groupings, whether you go to 16 or you just try to balance them out a little bit more, um, and I don't know what that entails. I mean, I don't know if, if you have to almost go to a committee process for putting those regional groups together as opposed to the way it's done now where WIA staff go through and, um, uh, you know, mark everybody on the map in that division. They identify the champions, kind of split them up and then, you know, move things around from there. Uh, the, the staff in the WIA office. So there's, there's some things that could be done to improve that potentially. I think uh, there's, there's two big things for me. Number one, um, head to head, as I said, I would like to, to see some, some very targeted use of head to head. Um, I, I will also say that I think this year, and I don't know if it's because of some of the changes that, that, uh, Tony had mentioned that, that he had, uh, worked on this year, but I thought overall it went extremely well this year with the exception that everybody had, has talked about and understandably of the Milwaukee city conference teams and where they ended up getting seated. Um, in the computer seating system. And if we take a, uh, just a step back and, and kind of go over the landscape when we first put this together, which was 2019 when this discussion began, um, we, we put it together with the idea and understanding that everyone would be on the same playing field where everybody would play nine games, where everybody would play, you know, non-conference opponents, and it would be kind of equitable that way. Uh, in the last couple of years, and, and, and understandably for them, the Milwaukee City Conference has essentially gone to an almost closed conference schedule or closed schedule where they are, many of them are not playing non-conference games at all. And that really impacts the number of data points that you can have to make comparisons and make things, uh, you know, when you're looking at seeding, um, there were several teams that only played their seven conference games. There were a number of teams that their two non-conference games were crossovers against other MPS teams. And so that is kind of artificially inflating the records for some of the Milwaukee city conference teams, because instead of going out and playing non-conference games against other opponents where, you know, they, they might not have a very good non-conference record. They're just not getting those, those games in. Um, so, you know, I don't know exactly what the fix is, but I know that's something that obviously people talked about significantly and, and understandably because there was five city conference teams that hosted playoff games in level one. None of them won. Milwaukee King was very competitive with Germantown in a 1-8 game, but you also had Milwaukee Marshall lose in a running clock to an eight-seeded DePere team. And I, I, I do not in any way, shape or form feel that you should be looking to limit the number of Milwaukee city conference teams that make the playoffs. That's not an argument I would ever make. That's something that I hear other people say, but I do think you have to find some way to equitably address how they should be seated without being um, discriminatory or punitive or making up a rule just for this group of, of teams. Um, and I don't know if that is something where you look at, you know, right now everything is done by average. So if you play seven or nine games, it doesn't really matter. It's all about an average. You know, if there's something that would be in the formula around either 
you know, multiplying by the number of games you played or something like that, that could potentially balance that out. The, the counter argument that would be a team like Kimberly this year could not get a week one game. They were supposed to play Milwaukee Marshall. Yeah. And again, understandably, Milwaukee Marshall decided that wasn't the best situation for them. So well, somebody decided played. that for them, to be right. clear. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, Kimberly only played eight games. So should Kimberly be be punished for only being able to play eight games or teams that have con- or in, in conferences where they have teams forfeit um, or move to eight player and they're not able to find replacement games, you know, should they be punished for playing fewer games? But um, I think it's all some, all part of it that needs to be looked at. Um, and again, I don't have the answer, but to me, that is, that is the biggest issue currently is the Milwaukee city teams, because it, it's not, a good look for the WIAA when a number one seed loses by 40 or 50 in a running clock. Uh, it's just not, not the right look, you know, in the past when coaches seated Milwaukee King, if they were really good and they were undefeated or Milwaukee Riverside, you know, they might get a four seed in a, in a group and, and get to host a home game, which is, you know, good, but I, I don't know that you can really justify more than one Milwaukee city team you know, being in a top four seed most years. Yeah. And there's not even enough uh, fields uh, or stadiums in Milwaukee to host five games, you know, 20, you had your, you had a comment, I I believe. That was uh, two. Yeah. Two things out of there. One, when we, when we were doing the seating, I think that was one of the last things was, um, you know, you had talked about the gamesmanship of coaches. I remember two or three years in a row, Pat Wagner, who ran the, a great team at Riverside was, I think he was conference champs one year with one or two losses and got the six seed, you know, and, and won a couple of games, but never got a home game. Um, it, because when we went to seeding, we also talked about, you know, the higher seed is going to host every time in the old way of seeding it. Um, everybody got a turn at hosting. If you know, the higher seed got to host the first game, but then if you didn't have a home game, you got your second round and then, Third round was a person that, you know, if, if a third round team had won on the road two games, they were going to get their third round at home. Um, I, I think it's the right thing to do to go higher seed host. But then when you have coaches doing it, you know, it was sort of screwing people, at least, you know, like like I said, like a Pat Wagner, who conference champ, really good teams. I, remember, I mean, we played them in level four back in 2011, um, you know, and he deserved to have a home game, but got got gamed up at a, at a coach's meeting, you know, where in this situation, you know, like you said, this year is the worst scenario where, you know, they gave one, one of the teams had given them a run for the money, but you can't, we cannot discriminate against an entire group or an entire conference just because there has to be, you know, tweaks within what we're doing to make that happen. The other thing is, you know, Milwaukee city, and you're seeing that more and more right now with those, our, our football only conferences, when you have a, a grouping of seven, you're sistered up with another conference. Um, you're seeing more and more of those conferences, part of this system that would make, that would make this better, that would make seating better, I think, is if we didn't play your crossover conference every time. But conference commissioners love to have those games on the books four years from now. So we're going to schedule, we're, you know, we're conferenced up and we're, we're doing non-conference conference crossovers. Well, now you're locked into that whole defeated opponents, opponent stuff, because you're, you're all playing the same teams. You're not, you're not playing somebody from another portion of the state. We were hoping initially that that seeding football only conferences and seeding, we're going to open up, you know, the first two weeks, everybody could play everybody coaches go out and look for some games, but that's not how ADs and, and conference commissioners saw that. Um, you know, so I think I think we do we hamper ourselves a little bit too on the on the front end of things by not just being able to go out and play other teams and trying to find some really good opponents to play. Well, gentlemen, I, I really thank you. Um, what a great inside look to to um, auto seating and and you know how we got here and and uh, talking about things that could be tweaked or talking about things that could be improved. Um, and it's a work in progress, you know, like, like Tony said, I, I remember those days when you couldn't host two games in a row in the playoffs, you know, like you're the number one seed perhaps, and you won your first game and now you got to go to somebody else's place to play. You know, I mean, there was just a lot of things. So I, I think 
in my opinion, things have improved. And is auto seeding perfect? It, it is not. But at the same time, I think it's better than the way it used to be. That's my personal opinion. And, um, you know, I might throw it out to to uh, the three of you. I mean, Paul, do you think auto seeding is, is the best format that we've had thus far for the playoffs? Well, I think it takes the human element out of it, which was a problem. I mean, I heard horror stories from people that would go to, to coach the seating meetings and like, you know, it was, it was crazy what happened. And so it does take the human element out of it. And as Travis had mentioned, you know, there's some tweaking that could be done to try to please some of the things. And I think that's what we got to look at. Tony, how about you? Tom, it sounds really the major issue is the grouping, the geographical grouping, which we really can't do anything. It's the board of control that's going to have to take care of that. So coaches need to get on board with that and tell their administrators, we want this. Yeah. You know, I think about basketball. You know, I'm at Wauwatosa East, rich tradition in basketball. And we always played Washington and King, like in the regionals, you know, like – you had a state tournament in the regional and and it was just based on geography. It wasn't even based on geography. Sometimes it's like, you know, why couldn't have King gone to this, you know, whatever, but you, for years and years, you know, it was Tulsa East, Washington and King, you know, probably the top three programs in the state all those years. And they were playing each other, not at state, but in the regionals or the sectionals. So it's, you know, it's, it's just the way things work sometimes. Tony, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, that's You're okay. F- it, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think the auto seating is is like you said. I think it's better than it has been, um, and there's always work that can be done. I mean, and and that's what the WFCA is there for. You know, coaches, coaches got to talk to their administrators, get their administrators on board with the issues that they want. Uh, you know, the WIA to have, but they've also got the WFCA. You know, use your region reps and. And throw those ideas out there at them, and and people that have good ideas present those to the region reps and bring that to the, to you know to the coaches clinic in the spring. Tom, you do the the point after two, you know, put some things in that in the point after two, and and we have to be talking about those kind of things that that the issues that guys want to see changed. Travis, you get the last word on this. Well, a few things to wrap up. Number one, computer seating is here to stay. It, you know, as much as some coaches might not like it, and I know there's some that would prefer to go back to coaches meeting, it it will not go backwards. In fact, more and more sports will be doing some version of this. Basketball does it now. Um, my good friend Jerry Pettigrew uh, nominated me to uh, to be on that committee for seating as well. I got drafted onto that one. Uh, we just met to review and, and tweak some things for basketball recently as well. So there are other sports that are going to be doing this. So within five years, this will probably be the standard for all team bracketed sports will be some kind of auto seating where each, you know, each sport will get together and determine how they want to do it. Um, Secondly, you know, I I heard a lot this year in part because a couple of one seeds lost in, in the Milwaukee city conference about how this, you know, showed that there were so many upsets that it was completely broken and whatever this year, there was 25, seed upsets in level one of the playoffs the very first year that the coaches did the seeding in 2012 there was 26 seed upsets in the first round of the playoffs in 2015 there was 25 seed upsets in the first round of the playoffs so we are seeing essentially the same number of lower seeded teams win now as we had before um the same number uh, similar number of you know seven and eight seeds winning um than is what we had before. So, you know, it's not out of line. It's not broken based on what had been done before. It'll be continue, continue to be looked at, adjusted, and tweaked, and uh, looking forward to see what kind of adjustments might be made after this season. Well, that's that's a great perspective, and, and uh, you know, you are the guy that, that follows statistically all these things, and and uh, you're, you're certainly worth whatever we're paying you for the WFCA, I guarantee you. Thank you so much. And Travis and Antoni, um, you know, I have 
reached out to you guys uh, so many times and, and you've been, always been so good with sharing uh, your thoughts and your insight on things. And I know this won't be the only time in season two of the podcast that I'll be reaching out to you guys for something, but thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to join us tonight. Uh, I, I really appreciate that as does Paul and Paul, thank you once again for all the work you do. You do all the nuts and bolts here and, you know, you you are the brains behind this thing. Without you, I, I wouldn't even know how to set up a Zoom meeting. Perhaps I don't know, but um, thank you, Paul, for for your work uh, on the podcast. Um, and you know, to our listeners, um, as always, if if you've got an idea of something that you would like to see covered in one of our podcasts, reach out to myself or Paul or Tom Yashinsky, and we'd be happy to to put something together. Um, and uh, uh, for those that are going to a level three game this weekend, uh, dress warm. I don't think there's any snow in the forecast like uh, Halloween yesterday. Um, but, uh, you know, enjoy uh, the season's winding down and there's just a lot of good teams left. So with that being said, thank you for listening and, and good night, everyone.